Well, if that doesn't ring your bell, your clapper's broke. (laughs) Today we are going to conclude our series from Matthew chapter 13. There are seven parables in a message preached by Jesus at the Sea of Galilee. And today we have come to the seventh. So let's begin by reviewing those first six parables. There was the parable of the sower who went out to sow. And we said that the sower was Jesus and the seed that was being sown was the Word of God. The second parable was the parable of the wheat and tares. And those were the people who went out to sow the seed. The Bible says that those who sowed the seed of God's Word were the sons of the kingdom, and those who sowed the seeds of Satan were the sons of the evil one. The third parable was the parable of the mustard seed. And the mustard seed represented that growth that was unexpected and not supposed to take place within the body of Christ. Rather than becoming a body of humility and and grace and joy and love and all that God intended, instead there was arrogance and pride and selfishness. And then we looked at the parable of leaven, and that was the introduction of false doctrine into the body that corrupted the fellowship of the body. There was the hidden treasure, and we said that the hidden treasure in the parable represented Israel. And then there was the pearl of great value, and the pearl of great value represented the church. Well, today we have come to the dragnet, the parable of the dragnet. So take your Bibles, look with me at Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse number 47. And this is the last parable in this sermon. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it upon the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels shall come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings forth out of his treasure things new and things old. When I was a boy, one of my favorite television programs was Dragnet with Jack Webb. And you who remember that series remember that a dragnet was cast over the city of Los Angeles. And all people were gathered of every kind, and they were examined, they were investigated to see if they were good or bad people in the eyes of the law. Now, that is the essence of this parable. It is the gathering of people to determine the good and the bad. Now, you'll notice down in verse number 47 again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. Now, of course, in this parable, the fish represent people. 
But the statement is made there that some are good and some are bad. Now, how do we rectify that? How do we determine the good and the bad? You see, there is a sense in which we all are bad in that we all are fallen. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Scripture says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there is a sense then that all of us are bad, but he also mentions those who are good. So how do we qualify that? It is determined by one's response to the gospel. And so according to Jesus, those who respond appropriately to the gospel then, they are declared to be good. Now, once the fish are caught, then they are examined to determine the good and the bad. There are a couple of verses of Scripture in Acts chapter 17. Paul was on, on uh, Mars Hill when he made these remarks. Let me read them in verses 30 and 31 of Acts 17. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, what did Paul mean when he says a time of ignorance? He said there was a time of ignorance. This is referring to that time when we were following after false gods and having false desires. And then the truth is revealed to us. That's what Paul is saying. There was a time of ignorance, but now then the truth is revealed to us. The gospel is given to us. Now, when the truth is revealed, that requires a decision. When the truth is revealed, we have to decide how we are going to respond to it. And there are some who hear the truth and they respond by embracing it, by believing it, by receiving it, and their lives are changed. They are never the same. There are many examples, of course, in the Bible. There's a story of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was motivated by money. And uh, one day Jesus came by and said to Matthew, follow me. And the Bible says that he left his taxpayer's booth or his tax collector's booth. Lost, he left everything to follow after Jesus Christ. His life was never the same. The Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus. He was a religious person, but he met Jesus on the way. And his life was dramatically changed. In fact, it was so changed that the disciples were still fearful of him because of the way he had been previously. Paul's life was so dramatically changed that when someone is dramatically different, we say that they had a Damascus Road experience. You see, there are those people who hear the truth, they embrace the truth, they believe the truth, and their lives are changed, and that's happened to most of you. Your lives have been changed because you have responded positively to the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But... There are others who hear the gospel, they reject the gospel, and their lives also are affected by that rejection. There are some who hear the gospel, they reject it, and then they become hypocrites. In other words, they pretend outwardly that they are good, when inwardly they are bad.
That's what Jesus was talking about when he said to the Pharisees, you are like uh, whitewashed tombs. He said on the outside you're very impressive, but on the inside there is corruption. So there are some people who hear the gospel and rather than make a commitment of their life to Jesus Christ, they in effect have rejected the gospel, but then they pretend on the outside that they are followers of Christ. And the Bible says that they are hypocrites. There are some who become hostile to the gospel. They hear the gospel, they reject it, and then they become hostile towards the gospel, towards Jesus, towards the church, towards the things of God. And folks, that's a concern that I have today because that is growing. In fact, I was reading an article recently that said that the civil rights group of this day is atheist. There are those people who reject the gospel and then they become hostile towards the gospel. I saw in the news, I think it was yesterday, that the governor of Georgia has called for prayer that the drought would be broken, and there are some people, I don't think that they are suing him, maybe they're just protesting that, saying that that, that violates separation of church and state. But there are some people who reject the truth, and then as a result of having rejected the truth, they become hostile towards the truth. But the point that is being made here is that the truth is presented, and then it reveals what we are. Some pretend on the outside to be followers of Christ, when in fact they are not. Some become hostile, but the truth reveals what we are, and then what we are determines our judgment. Now, you look there in verse number 49. Jesus said, so it will be at the end of the age. Now, what's he speaking about? Well, he's referring to the close of the age, the end of the age of the Gentiles. In fact, Daniel speaks of that in his prophecies, the end of the age of the Gentiles. Jesus mentions that in Matthew chapter 24, verse number 21. Then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. So when he's talking about the end of the age, the, the, the end of time, he is talking about our time. He is talking about the church age. He is talking about the end of time as we know it. That's what he refers to in that verse, the close of this age. Now look again at verse number 49. So it will be at the end of the age, the angel shall come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. Now, the separation that is going to be done is going to be done by angels. I don't know what you believe about angels, how you feel about angels. I believe in angels. I've never seen one except for my wife, of course. And I say that facetiously because she is not an angel. Nor are you. I hear people say, oh, they're a little angel. No, you're not. You're a human being. You see, angels are different. They are not human, and you are not angels, nor will you ever be an angel. As much as we'd like to think that, we are never going to be an angel. Now, the Bible refers to angels, so I believe in angels. There are ministering angels. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 14, are they, speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. So the writer of Hebrews says that there are ministering angels, angels who minister to your needs. There's a possibility, I believe, that, that there are national angels, angels that are heads of countries or they have a responsibility jurisdiction of country. According to Daniel chapter 10, I believe that. And then there are recording angels. They record what you do. They keep a record of what we do. There are recording angels. 
They're a guardian angel. Some of you have just about worn yours out. I mean, their little wings are just about gone, keeping you safe. But they're guardian angels. And then there are the separating angels. It is the angels who do the separation. And see, we want to do that normally. Normally, we want to separate the wheat from the tares. And the Lord has told us repeatedly in these parables that it is the angels who do that. So look at verse number 41. We see it there. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. Look at verse number 49, where we were just looking. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels shall come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. So the Bible says then that it is the angels who do the separation. Now, verse number 50. And will cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, it is the angels who are able to distinguish between the good and the bad. It is the angels who are able to distinguish between the wheat and the tares. And I said that is one of the temptations we have to deal with because we see someone and we say, well, now there's a tare. The fact is, you, you nor I know the heart of another person. None of us do. We don't know another person. And so that is the work of angels, but it is the angels who do the separation. And so the Bible says that at the end of time, at the end of the age, that the angels are going to separate the good from the bad, and the bad are going to be taken and placed into the furnace of fire. It says that there will be weeping, and that is a reference to remorse and sorrow. Now understand here, we are talking about those who have rejected Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that they're going to be placed in the furnace of fire. There is weeping. Remorse and sorrow. It says gnashing of teeth. Those words are used in seven different verses in the New Testament. It speaks of frustration and anger. Can you imagine? I think that that's the thing that would absolutely drive me nuts if I went to hell. To think of the times that I could have trusted Jesus and did not. And to know that I would spend eternity separated from God because I did not. And so that, I think, is what that verse is referring to, or that expression is referring to. The frustration, the anger that comes as a result. And then the furnace of fire, mentioned in verse number 42, mentioned in verse number 50. Folks, none of us truly understand or fully understand the judgment of God. None of us really understands it all. But Jesus spoke more about judgment than anybody else. It was Jesus who spoke more about the furnace of fire and the gnashing of teeth and so forth than anyone else. So there's the judgment, the judgment of the good and the bad, the separation. Verse number 51, Jesus said, have you understood all these things? He's asking the disciples after he has delivered to them these seven parables. He said, now, do you understand what I've been saying? Do you understand all this? Are you getting what I'm saying? And then in verse number 52, which is a little strange, he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. Now, that seems to be a strange reference because he is referring to those who have become his followers as scribes. Well, while Jesus was on earth, there were three groups that were constantly attacking Jesus. There were the chief priests. There were the rulers, the members of the Sanhedrin, and the scribes. The scribes were constantly going up to Jesus and posing questions, trying to entrap him. 
And yet Jesus used that term to refer to those here who followed him. But you see in history, scribe was a positive term. In fact, the first scribe was Ezra. And it was Ezra who took the word of Moses, the law of Moses, and taught the people the law. That's a scribe. So Jesus is saying that his disciples, those who follow him, that we are scribes. So what does that mean then? Well, in its best sense, it means that we are supposed to be what? Teaching people the word and the ways of God. If we are followers of Christ, then we are supposed to be sharing the word and the ways of God with others. We are his scribes. And that's what Jerry Wilson has been working on, because he and I have talked about it a number of times, and there is such a burden on his heart, and I know that uh, other staff members as well, and some of you as well, how important it is that we ground you in the Word of God. That we become disciples of Jesus, true disciples of Jesus. And that is so important, ladies and gentlemen, because the world is watching us to see if we live what we say we believe. The world watches the church to see how the church conducts itself. When the world looks at the church, what do they see? Do they see unity? Do they see division? Do they see people who build each other up? Do they see people who tear each other down? Do they see people who reach out to embrace? Or do they see people who push away? The world looks at the church, as a matter of fact, Something else that happened this week, I think it was the Senate that is investigating some ministries today. Why? Because they want to see if they are doing what they say. Now, I'm I'm not so naive as to believe that there's not some political motivation to that. Because I, I, I do believe, and it's parenthetical to this, but I do believe that there is a move, especially, it's always true, but it becomes more so. As we move towards an election, there is always the move to intimidate the people of God from doing what the people of God are supposed to do. So I, I believe there's some political motivation. But even having said that, I am saying to you that the world always watches the church to see if, what we, if we are what we say we are. They look at our homes. Is there any difference in your home than in the home of someone who does not claim to know Jesus? Is there any difference there? What about the way you do business? Do you do business differently than someone who is not a Christian? Are you honest in your business practices? It is very important that we teach people the Word of God, that we become disciples because the world is watching. So in verse number 1, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. The disciples said, yes, Lord, we understand what you are trying to teach us, but I'm not sure they did. The reason that I would say that is because when Jesus was telling the disciples about his impending death, Simon Peter said, Not so, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. What did Jesus say? Simon Peter, you don't understand the things of God. You don't understand the things of God. The disciples oftentimes responded in fear rather than in faith. Only John went to the cross with Jesus. The other disciples were hiding. The only disciple that went to the cross was John. And when Jesus appeared on that Sunday evening, the disciples were in that room locked up because they were fearful that their own lives were threatened. 
Do we understand what Jesus has been trying to teach us in these parables? I'm not sure we do. Because when times get difficult, don't we oftentimes begin to doubt the Lord? We're like the disciples in the boat when the the storm began to rage against them and they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, do you not care that we perish? When times get hard, do you begin to doubt the Lord? When someone hurts our feelings, oftentimes we get out of church. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. They hurt my feelings. Well, some of y'all hurt my feelings. No, I'm just saying that. You really don't hurt my feelings. I'm from West Texas, so my feelings don't get hurt. I know some of you would like to hurt my feelings, but I'm sorry. I'm very thick-skinned. But there are people who, I mean, they get out there, oh, yeah, I'm a child of God. I'm going to serve the Lord and so forth. And somebody hurts their feelings, and then you don't see them again. Oftentimes we live in fear rather than in faith. And so Jesus asks a question, good question for us. Do you, do you understand what I've been saying? Do you understand? Now I want to conclude. There is a faith that leaves us unchanged. And James says that if our profession in Christ does not make a difference in the way we live, he says that faith is dead. There is a faith that leaves us unchanged, but there is a faith that makes us new. That's a real faith. And that's what Paul said when he said, If a man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. There is a faith that makes us new. And so that's the way that Jesus is concluding here. His conclusion is found in verse number 52. He said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings forth out of his treasure things new and things old. Jesus said, Now, my followers are like the head of a household, and that speaks of authority. So he is speaking of authority here. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're like the head of a household, a person of authority. And he says, and they bring forth out of their household things that are new. There are some things that are always changing. You know, I've said before that there are two things Baptists don't like. One is change, and the other is doing the same old thing. But some things change. There are some things that are new. For instance, when you got married, your life changed. It changed in ways you never dreamed, but your life changed when you got married. Whenever you had children, your life changed. Never the same. Changed again. Grandchildren, when you have grandchildren, changes your life again. Linda took, uh, she spent yesterday afternoon with uh, Janie. And I asked her how it had gone. She said, well, we went out and said they were going in some store or something, a toy store And uh, she said, Janie saw something that she wanted, and she said, but I guess that costs too much, doesn't it, Gypsy? And Linda said, the first thing I knew, I'd bought it for her. (laughs) Your life changes when you have grandchildren. They are able to manipulate you in ways you never dreamed possible. And then we get a, a, a new job. Our life changes again. The church changes. I have a friend that I went to high school with who's down in South Texas, and he emailed me this week. He was asking me the question about, I think he's the treasurer or the chairman of the finance committee or something in his church, and he was asking me about, uh, about receiving offerings. Was it, was it, there's any scriptural problem with receiving offerings by people giving credit cards and draws and things of that nature? And uh, I, I wrote back to him and told him, I said, Dennis, uh, Giving an offering 
is evolutionary. It always has been. It's an evolutionary process. For instance, in the Old Testament, they were supposed to bring their animals to the temple to give and then to make it more convenient. They could leave them at home and buy one when they got to the temple, and that was corrupted, of course. And, and then in the early days of the church in America, uh, we used to bring produce and things of that nature, and we gave that. And so it's evolutionary. I said, those things, folks, the church changes. It changes. We may not like it, but it changes, and so we ought to embrace it. But there are some things that never change. There was a young man who had uh, majored in music in school, and so he'd been gone, but he came back to see his professor. When he walked in, his professor was over um, by the piano, and the young man walked in and looked at him, and he said, What's the good news of today? The professor didn't say a word. He took out a little rubber hammer, and he hit a tuning fork, and he says, That's an A. He said, that was an A 5,000 years ago. That's an A today, and it'll be an A 5,000 years from today. The soprano across the hall, she's off key. The piano downstairs is out of tune. The baritone upstairs, he's flat. But that's A, and that's the good news. There are some things that don't change. The nature of God does not change. The Bible says that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Scripture does not change. It is forever settled. Now, we try to change it. There are people today who want to change Scripture, want to make it say things that it does not say. There are those who want to make it approve things that it does not approve. It doesn't change. It is the Word of God. It is the unchanging, infallible Word of God. Human nature does not change We're all sinners. All have sinned. And our need of Christ does not change. Every person needs to know Jesus. Every person needs the forgiveness that comes from Christ. Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus? Folks, the reason it is so important is because one day there is going to be a day of judgment. There is going to be a day of separation. And the angels will separate the good from the bad. The angels separate the wheat from the tares. And those who know Jesus go to be with him. And those who do not go into judgment. Do you know him? Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? Make sure, and if not, do so today. Our Father in God, I pray that you will examine our hearts today, that we might see what you see. Lord, I pray for those who have not come to know Jesus, who have not experienced forgiveness, some who might be pretending to be believers, and yet in their hearts they know they're not. Father, some who are religious but have never been born again. Lord, I pray today for those who are without Christ that they might be saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, in just a moment, the choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. The staff is going to be standing here at the front. If you're without Christ, our invitation is that you come to receive Him. You might say, well, I don't know what to say. Just come up and tell Him anything. They'll pray with you. They'll pray with you. We'll work it out. We'll do what we need to do. 
If you're looking for a church home, my doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of First Baptist. Stand with me, please, as we stand and the choir sings. You come. I'll greet you as you do.